0: This wonderful book, and as I said in the very beginning, I don't know of any book of the Bible that has more practical advice than the book of Proverbs, and that's why for like 40 years or something now, I've been recommending to people to use the book of Proverbs like a calendar, and every day, whatever day of the month it is, this is the third, right? Uh, So on the 3rd, you'd read Proverbs chapter 3. On the 4th, you read Proverbs chapter 4 and just do that. Naturally, at the end of the month, on short months, you have to read an extra chapter or two, but that's never killed me, and uh, I don't think it'll harm you in any way. Uh, But it's just one of those books where we just can't spend too much time here because it gets right down to where the rubber meets the road and deals with practical issues that help us in our everyday life. And so that's where we are, chapter 4. Now, we got down to verse number 23, and uh, tonight we're going to wrap up this chapter looking at these closing verses. And so let's read through these verses, and then we'll back up and, uh, and slow down and go through them one verse at a time. Verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips, but far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all of thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Now, for those of you that have been with us through this study, you'll remember that in the in the earlier part of chapter number four, we began by talking about the transmission of wisdom. In the first four verses of this chapter, how that wisdom is transmitted from one generation to another. And here we see pictured before us Solomon with his son and urging him to get knowledge and to get wisdom. And so there is the transmission of wisdom. And then... And then in verses 5 through 10, he speaks more about the traits of wisdom, what we look for, how we identify wisdom. And then in verses 11 down through verse number 22, we see the teachings of wisdom, the things that wisdom teaches us. Well, tonight I'm going to call this section the treasure of wisdom. And uh, the, the text for this message has to do with the heart. And naturally, any time that you take a text from the Bible, you have to consider it in light of the context. That is the bigger picture. And in this case, I want you to notice what Solomon said because this is going to help us to put our study in the proper context. Look at verse 4. He says, He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart, and here's the key now, "...retain my words, keep my commandments, and live." Notice, "...retain and keep." Now, look at verse 13. We see something very similar to that. It says, "...take take fast hold of instruction, and let her not go, keep her, for she is thy life." Now, look at verse 21. "...let them not depart," talking about his words of instruction." Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. And, and so you'll notice that he's speaking about the treasure of wisdom in the heart. And, and, and here in our text we see that it, that is something that has to be guarded. Life, whether we're talking about physical or spiritual, is centered in the heart. In Matthew chapter 12, you don't need to turn there, but you might want to jot it down. In verse 34, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. So wisdom is more than a matter of the head. It also permeates The heart, and there's no way I can even begin to tell you how important this section is tonight, especially verse number 23, because this is one of those verses that we could literally study for months. A preacher with the name of John Flavel, back in in well, he was born in 1630, I believe it was, and so sometime back during that time, he wrote a book. That that some have called one of the greatest books of all time, and uh, I, I'd never heard of that book until recently, and so uh, I, I pulled it up uh, on the internet and uh, and was able to read it directly off of the uh, off of the computer, and, and, and it's entitled "Keeping the Heart," and uh, and and it's a, it's a classic, and so if you ever have a day that you don't have something to do, you you might want to. I want to find that and pull it up because it deals with this very thing of us keeping the heart. And as much as I'd like to do a detailed study like, like he did on this subject, we might do that someday, but not now, uh, we, we just want to keep this as simple and short as we possibly can. And I hope it just awakens within you a desire that you'll want to investigate further. That, you know, I hope your Bible study doesn't end when our services are over. I hope it's just the beginning. And this is a study that every Christian desperately needs. So I'm going to divide this section up into two parts because it naturally divides itself into these two sections in verse number 23. He talks about the importance of the heart. And then in the second part, beginning in verse number 24, he talks about the impulses of the heart. So we're looking at the importance of the heart and the impulses of the heart. So let's begin in verse 23. And there's two things that we see here. The responsibility, which is to keep your heart, and also the reason for it. Out of it are the issues of life. So let's talk about the responsibility. And notice where the focus is. Notice he doesn't say, keep thy health. Although that's a good thing to do if you can, right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. But he's not talking about that. And he doesn't say, keep thy wealth. Even though, you know, that'd be a good thing to do. You know, save a little money, that'd be a smart thing to do. Nothing wrong with that. But he's not talking about health. He's not talking about wealth. Nor is he talking about reputation. It's very important that we keep our reputation. What others think about us, that is extremely important. But he's not even talking about that. He says, keep thy heart. Because it's the heart above all else that we must keep. That word keep, by the way, means to guard or to protect. Remember what he just said in verse 20, 21, and 22? Let's read that. And, uh, and it helps tie this together. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and help to all their flesh." So, whenever we look at that, it becomes very obvious that this is something that is extremely important and that we have this treasure in our heart, as it were, that we are to protect. You know, most of us want to protect the things that we, you know, that we, that we value, right? I mean, you know, I, that we've got all of us got things in our homes. It might be something that, that's expensive or it might be something that's a trinket. But it has a lot of sentimental value. And those are things that are important to you. Or you might be talking about your loved ones. So we protect those things. We lock the doors. We turn on the alarm. We load the gun or, you know, keep it loaded or whatever, you know. We want to protect what we've got. Well, I'm telling you, whenever he says, keep thine heart, he's talking about guarding your heart, protecting your heart. And I'm really amazed that some people that will go to great lengths to protect things you know that you know that really really aren't all of that important at all, but then they turn right around and neglect their heart, out of which are all of the issues of life. And so when it comes to the heart, that is as is as important as it gets. But what is the heart? I mean, what's the Bible talking about when it says keep thine heart? Generally, when we think about the heart, we're thinking about nothing more than the emotions. But when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's speaking about the inner self, the person that lives in the body. It includes the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so keep that in mind when it talks about your heart. He's talking about your mind, the realm where you think, where you reason. It talks about your will. That is the place of, of volition. And, and then it talks naturally about your emotions, the things that, uh, the things that, that you love. And so we need to understand what the heart is. And Solomon makes it clear that this is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. But rather, it's a command. He's not, you know, just giving us some bright idea that he thought of, you know. But rather, he's revealing to us the will of God for our life. So it's an imperative, a command. It's a duty. And and so it's something we can't take or leave. Uh, It's something that all of us ought to make a conscious effort to do that I am going to guard, protect my heart. Now, notice another word associated with that. That really strengthens it, and that is with all diligence. That speaks about the attitude with which our actions are taken. The attitude. Diligence has to do with being vigilant, it speaks about great care, it speaks about doing the best you can. Uh, you know, whenever. You know, the Bible says to be diligent. It's all about do the best you can, as soon as you can, as long as you can. That's the best way I know to sum it up. So he's not talking about making a half-hearted effort here. He's saying put everything you've got into this business of keeping your heart. And the whole point is we can't ever let our guard down, not even for a moment, because one time is too many. I mean, can, can you imagine back whenever I was younger, I used to love to watch professional boxing. I've never watched one since uh, Cassius Clay, and, you know, in the Sonny Liston fight. never watched one since then because I determined that it was fixed and phony. But anyway, when I was a kid, I loved to watch old Archie Moore and those old timers and what have you. And, and uh, you know, c- can you imagine what would happen? You're in a ring with a professional boxer and you just drop your guard. You just put your hands down at your side and give it this a time or two. Well, I mean, they're going to lay you out in a heartbeat. I mean, you don't have a chance. And uh, y- you see, we can't drop our guard. It's not like, you know, that you know, a lot of times we take a vacation to get away from work and kind of you know, rest and relax and, and uh, regain our strength. But boy, when it comes to keeping your heart, we've got to be on our toes 24 hours a day because we have numerous enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil that's dead set on destroying us and we have to keep our hearts. So uh, there's an old writer by the name of A.W. Pink that died several years ago. You've heard me talk quite a bit about him and he was a brilliant man, other than he was somewhat Calvinistic in his doctrine, but other than that, he was a brilliant man. And uh, he, he, got, he got so fed up with with the hypocrisy that he saw in Christianity that he, he and his wife spent the last years of their life, he, he quit pastoring, just resigned and... Uh, went to some lonely little island, I think it was, somewhere, and spent the rest of his life basically uh, writing instead of being out on the circuit and preaching in all of the churches and things like that. And so uh, he, he wrote a book several years ago that I got a hold of, and, uh, and it's all about keeping the heart. And, 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 but but he, he makes four distinct points that I'm going to mention. What does it mean to keep your heart? And and, and, and he, he said that it means to shut out all that is opposed to God. Now think about that. Shut out everything that is opposed to God. Secondly, striving to bring it into conformity with the Word. Thirdly, to preserve it tender unto sin. That is that we, you know, be sensitive towards sin in our life. And then, fourthly, to look diligently after its cleansing. Now, I know you can add a lot of things to that, but I think that was about the best summation that I had ever read, and I jotted it down many years ago and have tried to refer to it as often as I can, because it gets, it, you know, it just gets right to the very core and the heart of the matter, the root of the matter, in regards to keeping our heart. We've got to shut out everything that's not supposed to be there. We've got to bring our heart, our mind, will, and emotions into conformity to the Word of God. We have to keep our heart in a state of of having great sensitivity towards sin. You remember what happened to Israel whenever it said they no longer could blush? I mean, they could just flopped their sin in the face of God and couldn't even blush. And we've got to guard our heart and protect ourselves against that. And we have to look diligently after the cleansing of our heart because you mark it down, I don't care how hard you try, you're going to fail. All, all of us fail, uh, not because we want to necessarily, but because we still live in the flesh and we're weak and we're going to fail. And there ought to be a regular confession of our. Sins. The Bible says, speaking of Christians, by the way, 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice he uses the plural there, our sins. Not our sin, but our sins. In other words, we need to name what those sins are. There's so many times we'll, you know, maybe at night time before you go to bed and you'll pray, Lord, forgive me of my uh, of my uh, of my sin and what have you, and we go to bed just like we've confessed everything and we haven't, we haven't confessed at all about our bad temper or our sire spirit or our, you know, our bitterness or our covetous spirit or our dishonesty or anything. And we need to be specific in confessing our sins. So we have this awesome responsibility to guard, protect, and keep our hearts. Now, notice the reason. For out of it... The, out of it are the issues of life. In, in other words, you can picture the heart as a great reservoir, and, and it's out of that reservoir that everything flows. Or think about it as a, as a spring from which all of the streams come forth. Uh, Were you to go, you know, way up into Minnesota and trace the Mississippi River way up there, and as big as it is when you get down to Louisiana, when you get up there, you'll find it's just a tiny thing. And then you'll find there are these little rivlets, you know, coming in and forming the stream, and it gets a little bigger and a little bigger and so forth. And uh, it all—it all starts from these little springs. And whenever we think about the heart, it's the spring from which everything. Flows. It's the source. It's the fountain of all of our actions, of all of the things that we do. You might want to think about it as a, some kind of a, of a big warehouse. And uh, in that warehouse are stored all of these things. And uh, so out of the warehouse of our heart comes all of the issues of life. The point is that the life can't be right if the heart is wrong. If the fountain is bitter, right, the water's going to be bitter I mean that that just stands to reason uh, you know if you want to if you want to poison something, you know you put water in uh, poison in the source and it goes out into the stream and and pollutes the stream and that's the way it is with the heart so if our heart is wrong, our life's going to be wrong now, the problem is so many times. We've got this poison of sin in our heart, whatever you want to call it, whatever your particular sin might be, and, and we try to hide it from everybody else. Or maybe we even try to deny it. Or maybe we try to excuse it by saying something like, oh, well, you know, we're all, we're just human. What do you expect? You know, nobody is perfect, and so we just try to excuse it. And a lot of times we deceive ourselves. And we, you know, we hide it from other people, but we can't hide it from God. Because, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on what? He looks on the heart. He knows what is in our heart. And so if our heart's not right with God, it affects our ability to fellowship with God. So in all of this, we see how important this is because it touches every single issue of your life. Now, let's shift gears and we move to verse 24. And it begins to speak here about the various impulses of the heart. And since all of the issues of of our life proceed from the heart, I could just take a piece of paper and a pencil and just make a list of of everything related to life because it all comes from there. But instead of doing that, we're going to form some categories. Now, I say we're going to form some categories. The Bible actually does that for us. And this is what I want you to notice. In speaking about the impulses of the heart or issues of the heart, if you want to call it that, in doing that, it's as though he puts it all in three different categories. So let's look at each one. Verse 24 has to do with our speech. And he says, Put away from thee a froward, a crooked mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Do you reckon it's an accident that the very first thing on the list has to do with the tongue? I don't think it's an accident. Do you? And I'm going to show you why. Turn, keep your finger there and turn over to the book of James, if you will. Turn over to James chapter number 3, and it's going to become very apparent why this is first on the list. Chapter 3 of James, and let's start in verse 12. I don't have time to read all of it. Verse number 12 says, Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? either of vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Isn't that what we've been talking about? And if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. That is, don't brag about it and lie not against the, the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, were you to look up back earlier in here, he tells us that, that one of the signs of maturity is being able to control the tongue. He says in verse 8, the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And, and so, he, in fact, he, he says if any man can control the tongue, he is a perfect man. Well, he doesn't mean perfect in the sense of being sinless. He's talking about somebody that is mature. The word perfect means complete or mature. And so he's talking about spiritual maturity enabling us to be able to control our tongue. You know, you hear people all the time say, well, you know, oh, so and so has really got a good heart. I mean, I know they say things they shouldn't say, but they got a good heart. No, they don't. That's the problem. The things that we say come out of our heart. And and, and it's a reflection of what is in our heart. The Bible says the fool uttereth all of his mind. You know, somebody says, well, I'm going to get them told. I'm going to tell them just what I think. Well, go ahead. You're just showing your ignorance. The Bible says a fool uttereth all of his mind. That's nothing to brag about, folks. And and, and he says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it's not an accident that the first thing that he mentions here has to do with with controlling our tongue. And if the heart is wrong, then the tongue's going to be wrong. Now look at verse 25, and we, we move here from our speech to sight. And notice what he says, "...let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee." What we look at affects us greatly. That was the very thing that prompted Job to make the statement. He said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You know, those people that have the idea that, well, you know, I can look at pornography or whatever, and, and it's not going to affect me, it, 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 won't, it won't bother me, and. And listen, there have been people that have said and suggested, and I'm telling you, even supposedly Christian people and even preachers that have suggested that pornography is good for a marriage to spice up a marriage. It was one of the most stupid things I ever heard in my life. I mean, it is so wrong, so sinful just so foolish for somebody to think that they can, you know, look at that stuff and it not affect them. And Jesus made it perfectly clear in Matthew chapter number 5, perfectly clear that we are accountable for what we look at. you you remember He said, well, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but He said, I say unto you, whosoever looketh upon a woman with, you know, lust in his heart hath committed adultery with her already in in his heart. Several years ago, I I, I know a person that uh, that said. Uh, and by the way, folks, I, I sometimes I feel like a dinosaur, and, and by that I mean I I, see, I I I feel like I belong in another age, way back in the Victorian age or or, or something. Because we've gone brain dead when it comes to this matter of modesty today, and I know I, I wrote an article the other day. I haven't even printed it because uh, the, the title of it is a touchy subject. B- because for some, it's like a bombshell. It is a touchy subject. It's just because people today they they don't want to hear anything about modesty, and I'm telling you what. I, 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 You you see some things, and sometimes it's pictures of what churches are doing, and there, you know, some of their church activities and what have you. And you look at that, and you think, my Lord, uh, you know, when I was in high school, that would be pornography back then, and now they're flaunting it right out on Facebook and, and everywhere else. Well, anyway, this fella said he didn't see anything wrong with, you know, looking at women in skimpy bathing suits. and, and In fact, he made the statement, and I, it doesn't bother me if other people look at, look at my wife. You know, I think she's attractive, and it doesn't bother me if they find her attractive. He said something to the effect that that's just natural, that God made a woman's body to be admired. And, you know, as long as you don't go further than that, uh, you know, uh, there's not anything wrong with that. I wonder if it would surprise you if I told you that same fellow later had several affairs. You, You see, it does affect you. Don't you kid yourself. The things that we look at has an effect upon our heart. Wisdom causes a person to watch what they watch. Watch what you watch. Now, Let me say this. This subject involves more than just looking at members of the opposite sex. It can apply to anything and everything that distracts us from the Lord Jesus Christ and lures us to lust. You know, there's some people, you know, that some men that, you know, they're not lusting after any other woman, and women that are not lusting after any other man... But, oh boy, I mean, there's a thousand and one other things they're lusting after, you know. And we can call it window shopping or whatever we want. But there are some people that, you know, they just, uh, you know, they, they just constantly thinking about, I, I, I'd like to have this, and I'd like to have that, and, and what have you. We've got to be careful about that and set some limits on how much we allow our imagination to take over our thought life. If we're not careful, after a while, you know, we'll decide. Uh, somebody put a little old thing. Well, I think, I think it was my wife actually had a little old thing on there about you can win a Camaro, you know. Had different, had to pick a color. Not, you know, I wanted mine blacked out all the way. I, I, I didn't enter the contest or anything, but I just put on there, well, you know what color I want. Blacked out, everything black on it. And, uh, but you know, if a person's not careful, you can get to wanting something like that so bad that you do something so stupid as to go down and buy something on credit that you can't afford and get yourself so far in debt that you can't even take care of your, uh, of your daily ordinary needs. And so we've got to be careful what we look at, careful what we say. Now, let's wrap it up, last two verses. This has to do with our Steps. And notice what it says, ponder, ponder the path of thy feet and let all of thy ways be established and turn not to the right hand nor to the left and remove thy foot from evil. Now, verse 26 really needs to be given a lot of attention because the path that we take is determined by the thoughts that we think or what we don't think when we don't think. That is when whenever we just, you know, we just walk blindly through life. And one wrong step can lead to a lifetime of regret. I've seen that happen over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, there are people right now at this very minute They are suffering. They made a decision maybe a few years ago that they shouldn't should have ever made. And it, it might be, and I'm not going to try to go into detail and create some kind of a vivid scenario for you to consider or anything like that. I don't want you thinking about different people. but But I'm telling you, they made a decision that shouldn't have been made, and now they've got to live with that the rest of their life. We've got to be careful. Notice he says ponder. That word ponder means to weigh. Whenever he talks about pondering your path, it's talking about weighing or, or to, uh, to, to, to map out and take into consideration. Look where you're stepping. You remember the old saying, you know, that if, uh, uh, he who wouldn't fall ought not to walk in slippery places. And, and that's right. You, if we're walking circumspectly like the Bible tells us to, you kind of think of a cat, you know, on top of a fence and putting one foot in front of the other. And that's why we've got to walk because every step is so very important. Now, notice verse 27 because it warns us here about not going astray. And, and it's interesting. He says, don't go astray. Notice, neither to the right hand nor to the left. In other words, don't get off the proper path In any direction, avoid evil in all directions. You know, a lot of times we get in trouble because we get out of balance. In other words, we we go to such great care to not get in the ditch on the left-hand side of the road that we go to the extreme and we get in the ditch on the right side of the road. I was just talking about modesty a minute ago. And, and there are those that, you know, in trying to stay out of that ditch of immodesty, they've got over here in the ditch of legalism. You see what I'm saying? And and and, and God wants us on the straight and narrow way. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. And, and so the guarding of our heart ought to be the constant, the constant work of each and every Christian because. Every step we take, and remember, every word we speak has an effect. Everything that we look at, what we set our uh, affections upon is going to affect us. It will turn our heart away from the Lord. And after a while, we'll be lusting, coveting after things that we don't have any business having. And then what happens? Then then we get off, off the proper path. Don't go astray to the right hand, nor to the left hand. Stay on the straight and the narrow way, but it all starts with the heart. And and so in everything that you and I do, we have to take into consideration what's going on within our heart. And and we ought to examine our hearts in the light of God's Word. And if there's anything there, of course, that's, you know, unseemly, anything unbecoming of a Christian, we need, we need to... We need to confess it and make it right with God because it has consequences down the road somewhere, sooner or later. Didn't the Bible say we reap what we sow? Absolutely. We always reap what we sow. And that's true whether it's good or whether it's bad. So I hope tonight that we've said something, give you something to think about and throughout the week that you'll give more thought to this matter of keeping the heart because out of it, are the issues of life. Lord willing, next week...